Welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast, Free Thinkers. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. Our guest this week, and for our final podcast of the year before we take a three week hiatus, is Mr. Dan Dix. Dan is nothing short of a legend in the world of activist journalism, and his documentaries have reached thousands, if not millions, and are still cited by activists to this day as a catalyst to their awakening process. Dan has also kept a close eye on all the rampant tyranny within Canada's borders over the past three years of the COVID-1984 pandemic, so it was great to get his take on several topics during this interview, such as censorship, child grooming within the Canadian educational system, the recent surge in assisted suicides, Canadian gun control, and quite a bit more. Happy holidays, Freethinkers, and we wish you a wonderful new year. Welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast, Dan. We're uh, happy to have you joining us today. You are truly an OG in this movement, and your work with Press for Truth has uh, been something that's, geez, I don't know, how many years now? At least 15 15 plus uh, 16. I, I think 16. I started Well, I started in June of 2006. So my, my math's not the best, but I think that's 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels nice to finally have you on the podcast, which is certainly long overdue. And if I'm going to be completely honest here, the very first interview I ever did was with you in 2016 in Acapulco at Anarchapoco, which I know you've spoken at numerous times. And uh, oh, man, I was so nervous, too. But uh, <laughs> I had never done an interview before, and then all of a sudden I was being interviewed by the legendary Dan Dix. So, you know, I, I was and still am a huge fan of your work. And uh, I remember between you, Luke Radowski, um, Adam Kokesh, I was just super inspired with citizen journalism. So I knew I had to get involved somehow. And, uh, you know, fast forward 10 years later, and here we are. But um, the way I found your work, and I'm assuming thousands of others as well, was through your YouTube channel and you were on YouTube for 16 years there. As, yeah, we were just mentioning during that time, you accumulated nearly 275,000 subscribers. You had created five documentary films, uh, had thousands of reports for uh, different videos that you've done on different news topics. But in late November, that all came to an end. And even though you received no warnings, no strikes and had no copyright issues, your channel uh, was still removed from YouTube. And I guess apparently when you appealed it, uh, you received an automated response back within minutes of submitting the appeal. So with that said, you know, I obviously apologize for your loss, but uh, these deplatforming censorship moves seem to happen at such a frequent pace now that it almost feels like a lot of people have been acclimated to this constant censorship and demonetization. So can you just kind of uh, give our audience a little bit of an explanation and just share like how frustrating 
this all has been for you. And obviously you're not stopping with your work. So like, what's your solution and like, how do you move forward from here? Sure. There's actually a, it's a crazy story behind the termination of my YouTube channel. I, I would say it all starts, well, really it all starts back in 2015, 2016, 2017, when I noticed the channel started getting shadow banned and then flat out uh, demonetized. But then it was all of a sudden in, in the early days of the pandemic, when all of a sudden my, this is uh, in uh, 2020 now, uh, my channel with no copyright strikes, no community guideline strikes, no warnings, uh, got terminated. It was it, it was taken down just at the flip of the switch, blink of an eye. I was totally caught off guard. And the very last video that I had uh, uh, done right be hours before my channel was terminated was actually talking about the Wayfair conspiracy. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was like, you know, it, people were talking about kids might be getting shipped around in, in, in furniture and stuff. And I remember coming across some info about this kid who's saying, guys, I'm, I'm alive and well, this is not true. And I kind of mentioned how in that video that the, the Wayfair conspiracy is a bit of a, a, a red herring designed to purposefully, you know, throw people off the loop for when this stuff really does go down in the future. Anyways, that was the last video I did. And then my channel was terminated. So th that's that. All of a sudden, seven months later, out of the blue, I get a, t a tweet from uh, Team YouTube on Twitter saying, we apologize. Uh, we uh, are sorry for the inconvenience. We've reinstated your channel. We're going to look into what happened here. Um, we're sorry about this. But uh, and, and so so this is all this all happened back in 2020. Um, and I was really caught off guard by that, too. You know, out of the blue, they're like, we're sorry. We made a mistake. We're reinstating your channel. So that's the backstory. Now, all of a sudden, fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, and I decided to do an expose on this Balenciaga uh, situation. And in my Balenciaga expose, in my video, I actually reference, I say, I mentioned in that video, I say, you know, three years ago, uh, I mentioned the Wayfair is a red herring designed for moments like this. And again, within hours of posting that Balenciaga video, my channel got terminated again. So I really think it's connected to the same, you know, three years ago it was terminated because of all that stuff. And now it got terminated again because I started talking about that stuff again. And actually in the very last video I have on YouTube, you'll actually hear me in the video say, I'm saying this at the risk of losing my channel <laughs> because the last time I talked about this stuff, I did. And then all of a sudden, sure enough, a few hours later, boom, it happened. I got terminated. So crazy, crazy story going on there. So they don't want people. I mean, there's, there are other people still on YouTube talking about Balenciaga and there are mainstream media outlets now talking about it now that it's not really cons considered a conspiracy theory. But still, I was taken down for that. As far as I can tell, that sure is what it feels like. That's crazy, dude. And I, I, I saw that happen in real time. And we just saw uh, this week that the gays against groomers, they were they were deplatformed from their their like their apparel line or whatever. The, the people that make them mm -hmm. that send out their shirts. Right. And their entire thing is they're just they're the LGBTQ crowd for that's pro-gay that just is anti-child molestation and they get deplatformed yep. as well. You know, they were already deplatformed from Twitter, but they got to come back after. But well, what's interesting is the very day that my channel got uh, terminated, the day, uh, you know, uh, I, I put out the Balanchega video and then the very next day um, when the channel got terminated, I was actually out at one of these story time drag queen for kids 
you know, exposing that as well. So the day my channel got terminated, I was actually filming one of those story time, uh, drag queen story times. They had one here in Vancouver for kids aged three years old, little toddlers. So if you guys haven't seen that video, it's crazy because counter protesters showed up, if you can believe that. A whole bunch of people who were upset with the fact that there were protesters there. <laughs> it's just that's mind-blowing to me man i don't i like you know here with the free thought project we're libertarians we're live and let live if you want to be trans or do you know dress you know dress however you want do whatever you want as an adult i think that you should be able to do that and, and people should not give you a hard time there should be no discrimination against you you should be able to do whatever you want you know you you could you know it's not if you as long as you don't harm anybody else but they have this massive like movement to pressure it, this this whole thing onto children. And that's, that's the shit that where I draw a line to that, you know, why do you think that these people are actually going after children like that? Well, I, you know, I think it's, it's indoctrination really. I, I spoke with one lady, I interviewed her and she's involved with the, you know, sex education. And, and, and I asked her, you know, how young is too young? And she said, no age is too young to learn about sexuality. And I said, surely there has to be a line that one would draw. And she just flat out, she's like, no, there absolutely is not. You know, ne it's never too young to teach kids about sexuality. And it was just like, wow. And, you know, this is a lot of this is coming from, you know, indoctrination through the universities, through the schools. Um, a lot of this stuff has been infiltrated a long time ago to push a lot of this. And now it's kind of trickling out throughout society you know these are the things that we've been warning about as far back as you know uh you know five six seven eight years ago saying guys this is a very slippery slope like in canada with bill c-16 when they were going to uh, compel you know force your speech and, and compel you to have to use somebody's pronouns legally you know turn it into a law that you would have to use someone pronouns i i said back then guys this is a really slippery slope and look just how far we've come now, like with the stuff we're talking about today. It's it's pretty wild. Yeah, I, I know that you recently covered some of the Project Veritas, um, their explosive, you know, truth bomb interview with Joseph Bruno. And I want to get into that at some point, but it's always my job to kind of steer back to censorship because I always talk about that so much. <laughs> but um yeah, so you know, it's it's funny that uh, they actually YouTube actually apologized to Dan because I feel like that's very rare when they actually do that. And I know it wasn't this recent time, but the time before they actually apologize and admit that they're wrong. I mean, that's uh, you know something that you can maybe mark on your calendar as like a once in a lifetime event. But um, you you are a veteran with us uh, with the purge when that happened in October 2018. And I, I know that you, what was it, your Facebook page that you lost? And I, I think, was it your Twitter account as well? Or is it just your Facebook page? Yeah, I had Facebook and Twitter. The, the Facebook was a little more significant because at that time it was sitting at around 390,000 followers or That's something. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Press for Truth Twitter had around 20,000, but still, uh, you know, significant. Both of them were taken out, yeah. Sure. So, you know, speaking of censorship, I know you've done some work with some of these stories that have, about people dying suddenly. And of course, that documentary premiered last month, and received a lot of attention. Um, it had a bit of a viral marketing campaign, and I think it was successful that it made its way across social media and the internet and millions of views. And, you know, it even had social media companies like Facebook blocking the video, the link. And I even saw reports of like Facebook not even allowing like the text consecutively like died suddenly, like they wouldn't let people actually even post that, which is kind of crazy. So this is like a topic that you've spent a lot of time on. And, you know, people all over the world, 
seemingly are dropping dead, having these sudden health issues that were caught on camera. And even just a couple of days ago, uh, during an NBA basketball game, one of the announcers like passed out during the interview. And many people pointed to it like being a, a direct correlation to the COVID vaccine, you know. So I guess I have like two questions for you. One, like, what was your take on the documentary? Like, did you find value in it? But two, like, for the sake of transparency, do you think there's a chance that, like, we just have a bias towards this idea of people dying suddenly? And, you know, like, as skeptics of the COVID vaccine, like, we're associating maybe any negative health issues with the vaccine and perhaps, like, not every clip that we saw in the documentary maybe was not, like, directly related to the vaccine? Well, right off the top, I'll have to tell you, I haven't seen it. I, I actually haven't watched oh, okay. uh, Died Suddenly. Yeah, no, I um, I briefly mentioned it in a video a little while ago because of the fact that it had gotten 11 million views within like 24 hours or two days or something. And I was pretty blown away by that. But I uh, I haven't actually watched it. But, uh, but considering just how viral it went with the information that it's presenting, that's why I understand, you know, your your second question there, but you know, I, I gotta, I can't help but wonder about, yes, we are hearing about these things like with the basketball player and there's a lot of famous people. In fact, a lot of musicians, a lot of movie stars, a lot of people were hearing about that. And that makes me more so think about how many people we're not hearing about because they're not famous or not only because mm. they're not famous, but because maybe their family members are in some state of cognitive dissonance and they don't want to believe that the vaccine is what caused this to happen and it's just getting unreported. So, I, I mean, I do think, I, I, I do see it with my own eyes in my real life. You know, I've seen family members affected by this um, and I see documentaries going viral about it. I haven't seen it, but... Um, I, I, certainly there is, uh, it, it is possible that that could happen with, with some people out there. I mean, you never know how anybody's going to receive this information, but, um, I think for the most part, people's, uh, concerns are, are pretty, pretty founded from, from what I can see. I'm pretty sound, pretty solid. Yeah. I did get the chance to watch the documentary and there is certainly a lot of compelling evidence there. So I'm not trying to dismiss it. Uh, I feel yeah, like maybe uh, it was slanted in more of like a depopulation agenda type of narrative that maybe wasn't necessarily uh, something that had to be included with the documentary. I feel like maybe that's kind of a common critique. I've, I've heard a couple other people say that well as well. And when I was watching it, I get it because the evidence should speak for itself. Um, and not even just the viral clips of like people falling down, you know, but of like actual like doctors coming on, actually breaking it down, showing these crazy blood clots that are coming out of people. Um, so Anyway, yeah, thanks for uh, your feedback on that. I, I Sometimes we have a tendency to be a little biased in our own opinions, and we want to confirm our own biases Like anytime we see some footage like this or any type of information, really. So I kind of wanted to get your feedback on that one. But um, yeah, man, I, I would love to, to kind of get into where the conversation was flowing, though, uh, as far as the Project Veritas thing. And I know you had covered it. But basically, just to give our listeners a little bit of context, Joseph Bruno was covered in like an undercover exclusive, basically these Project Veritas uh, reporters. And I'm sure if anybody's seen Project Veritas, you kind of understand it's like a guerrilla journalist type of tactic. Apparently, this Joseph Bruno guy is the dean of students at school in Chicago, Illinois. And he was describing how his students were given dildos and butt plugs to play with in class and talked about like really graphic, like kind of just weird sexual details, such as like using lube versus spit. And uh, so anyway, you did like a, a short value uh, video, excuse me, on uh, 
the expose that Project Veritas did. And in your examination, you mentioned that Canada also had a similar program for children called SOGI123. So can you explain what that is and why you believe like this is a clear and calculated agenda being pushed on the most vulnerable, uh, influential members of society? And maybe explain your experiences too with the woke crowd in, in Canada who has kind of targeted you over the years, smeared you. And if I remember correctly, even a few years ago, like even dumped urine on your head, which is like absolutely crazy. Um, just because you've been brave enough to call out and kind of expose this whole agenda that they've been ushering in the past five years. Yeah. Well, let's first of all talk talk about what they what they're pushing here and what you brought up, which is SOGI one two three, and that stands for sexual orientation, gender identity, and this is something that's been added into the curriculum in schools in British Columbia and Alberta for children as young as four years old, and um, this is a, a central essentially normalizing um, this idea that you can you know, become a, a, a little boy, change from a boy to a girl, or for a girl to a boy, or or be neither a girl or a boy, if that's what you so choose. And so this curriculum is being I I implemented into the, in, into the schools in British Columbia and Alberta, but they're trying to push this all across the country. And, you know, when you see exposés like what Project Veritas is doing, which is fantastic, I love that style of journalism, because, you know, there's not a lot of parents and and people out there who are even aware that some of this stuff goes on in the first place you know yeah. uh, the curriculum's put into the school without the teachers knowing the guy bruno or whatever w brought in this this lgbtq health you know agency uh, without the parents knowledge and this is even a private school so you know i think these types of exposés are really important um because of the fact that there's not a lot of people who really understand that this is happening behind the scenes um, so yeah, this is why I, I brought it upon myself to kind of expose this stuff. And yes, I've, I've ended up being the, 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 the target for it. And I just don't understand, you know, because I, I, people often like at the child thing, they're saying trans rights are human rights chance. That's, that was a chant. And I'm saying, yes, okay, fine. I, I, I agree. <laughs> like <laughs> we don't disagree here, but it, I'm talking about the little ones. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, keep your hands off the kids. Like this is a totally different, you know, issue. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm somewhat under attack for this, but I absolutely do not hate the LGBTQ plus community. I don't, I don't have no problem or issue with transgender people. It's just when you are dealing with the kids, I have a problem. And when you try to change the laws, when you put pen to paper to make it, you know, a, a new law that I have to respect your pronouns or something like that, then I have an issue with it as well. Um, but other than that, you know, people can are full, fully free to do what they want. As you guys say, I'm more, you know, libertarian minded in that sense. You know, it has nothing to do with that. So, <laughs> man, well, they like they used to have to go undercover and expose this stuff, but. As you're in Canada, like like Project Veritas, you know, but as you're in Canada, I know you're familiar with that the case in Burlington of that high school teacher that uh, went from being uh, carried a Kayla or whatever, and and then donned these massive like whatever G size yeah. <laughs> Zed like golf ball size nipples that it's, it's Zed size. I just did a video on that today, actually. Well, yeah, um, well, that's I just read an article today. I tweeted it out earlier today, but and from the Toronto Sun about how you know it's it's totally acceptable for this teacher to wear these massive tits with these golf ball size nipples poking through sheen shirts that the kids can see. 
but now like the kids aren't allowed to take pictures of that. So it's, fact, it's, cool. it's cool to do that, it, but it's not yeah, cool. To, it's it, all a troll though. They're, right? they're being, it ha I don't know, man. Like there, there. I don't know. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't think I don't really don't think it is because um, right now he's going around to other schools and he uh, he has a, a a paid escort. He he has a, a private you know security service. Not private. It's cops. It's taxpayer money. Cops are 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 traveling around with him to school to school because oh, there were bomb God. threats called in. Oh, so this Lord. guy, th this guy's has a, has a police escort with him now. So not only like they're threat, they're threatening the kids with suspension if they, you know, document any of this and expose what's going on. And and on top of that, the guy's walking around with the police entourage as he goes from school to school. Now he's he's substituting here. He's pitching in over there. He's actually traveling around from school to school, and he's doing so with a, a, a police escort. Just un un unbelievable that the school board is okay with this. Some of the parents are okay with this. You know. Well, it's, if it's you wild. think that that's not okay, then you probably fall under the definition of psychosis, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, I'm I'm the dangerous bigot, right? Because because <laughs> I think there's something wrong with this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if yeah, if you want to explain or elaborate on that, uh, I watched your video today of of how. You were Googling psychosis in various countries. And then when you went to Canada, they they had modified the definition, which is a completely Orwellian move to change language and everything. They had modified the definition to to state something like uh, that, that psychosis means that you may be worried about the government trying to harm you or something like this. Yeah, that really goes to say a lot about, you know, uh, what's happening here in Canada. You know, I, I often used to talk about China being the blueprint for the new world order <laughs> and for trying out certain things. But, man, since this COVID-1984 nightmare, Canada really has presented itself yeah. as the new blueprint yeah. for this thing. And a lot of our freedoms have been uh, wiped away during this uh, COVID-1984 nightmare. And, um and as I said, Canada seems to be the testing ground for it. But what, oh yeah, the psychosis thing. That I mean, the, the fact that they would turn it around and try to suggest that you are delusional or you are out of touch with reality when it's literally the Canadian government are the ones who are trying to convince you that men can become women and women can become men, and you know, like it's just it's mind-boggling. This is the same government who engaged in the MK Ultra project experiments at McGill University in Montreal, Canada, and then admitted to this. Uh, Ottawa had to reimburse, uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, pay, pay uh, uh, reformations or whatever, like um, had to pay, compromise these, pe these victims for their crimes that they committed against them, and they admitted to this. So the Canadian government has a history of causing direct harm on their very own people. So now they say, you know, if you suggest that the Canadian government may harm you or your family, that could be delusional and, and uh, psychotic. Uh, talk about doing it, you know, flipping it around. It's just, it's, it's pretty wild what's happening up here. I would argue that freezing somebody's bank account for uh, using their First Amendment, well, not First Amendment in Canada, but using their free freedom of speech to protest the government is the definition of harm. So, they yeah. say, you know, by definition, they're saying everybody is, even the banks apologize for that. So all the banks are now 
experiencing psychosis? <laughs> well, you look at what happened at the uh, at the convoy uh, rally here, the trucker convoy rally that I covered. And, you know, I, I, I got this friend of mine. He, he runs uh, Druthers newspaper. He raised one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to give to these truckers directly. And his bank account is still frozen to this day. Wow. It's almost been a year later and he still has no access to to this to this money that he raised to to give to the truckers. And uh I don't know if you guys watched all that from the outside but I mean even I I had to travel for 6 days. I had to drive for 6 days all across the country. Canada's big because I couldn't get on an airplane because I'm unvaccinated. You know, in my own country, I couldn't fly domestically. I had to drive there to cover this thing. And then when I did, I did a seven and a half hour live stream where I ended up getting cracked in the ribs by these cops with a baton, which really, really sucked. In fact, I'm still dealing with that. I don't know if you guys have ever had anything happen to your ribs, but it's, it's, it's brutal. And uh, this is all because I just went down there to cover uh, this massive uh, uh, protest, which he tried to call some, you know, fringe element of society. (laughs) But obviously, you know, a lot of Canadians are feeling this way. So that whole trucker convoy thing was big, and um, I, apparently they're they're thinking about having 2.0 this February. But oh wow! We'll see. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. They uh, you know they just want you to ab- obey the regime, and uh, it doesn't have to make sense. And I apologize, man. I'm sorry to hear about your ribs. I'm sure that's not uh, easy to live with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all uh, all a part of. Of, of doing what I do. Like you said, you have sure. the certain communities that lash out. You, you reminded me of the, uh, the BLM crowd that smoked me in the head with the, with the bottle when I got surrounded by about 150 people. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys saw that. I had a circle of like 30 cops surround me for my protection, so-called. And then I got hit in the head with a bottle and then the police arrested me apparently for my protection because this mob was trying to kill me. Jesus <laughs> um, Christ, man. So, and, these are the groups, you know, the reason why, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau likes groups like BLM, it's because they beg the government for, you know, fix this for me, do that for me. Same with the environmentalists. He loves those people because they're like, change this, do that. Whereas the truckers are like, leave me the hell alone. Like, let me just be, be me. And, and, and that's where the Canadian government has a problem with that particular movement. So they're okay with the BLM. They're okay with the environmentalists, but you got these freedom oriented, freedom minded people who want to be self-sustainable and just want to be left alone. They're the ones who are the problem here in Canada. Yeah. I think a lot of people are asking, you know, when did we become the enemy? But I think the reality is we've always been the enemy. It's just that they were playing nice about it for, you know, long periods of time. But, you know, before this interview, I was kind of thinking about how California and large parts of Canada are essentially on like the same frequency as far as like the progressive politics. I'm I'm honestly not sure which one's more tyrannical, although like the state of California never really has frozen anybody's accounts for protesting that I know of. So you know, there's that. But um, even when I go to the mm-hmm. store and out in public, like I noticed that I'm still seeing a lot of people wearing masks. And I would imagine that you probably still see the same in your area. But my question every time I see these types is like, when are they finally going to take the mask off? You know, and I, like what would need to be the catalyst for them to finally take it off once and for all? And of course, you know, I'm all for individual freedom and choice. I'd never insist that like people have to take it off, of course. But I'm just curious of like the psychology of these people, like, What's your take on the people who continue to mask and like, 
even though most places have moved on from that, you know, anti-scientific practice. The only way for these people to break out of this uh, mind control really is, is to, is to get, is to turn the TVs off because, you know, I noticed it around here when they got rid of the mandates and all of a sudden everybody takes the masks off and that went on for a little while. And then all of a sudden you start to see more and more people are wearing them. Now I don't have a, a TV. I don't have cable. I don't watch television, but just by looking simply by looking around, I could get the sense that they're upping the propaganda on TV again. And sure enough, yeah. you know, um, when I stay in hotels and stuff, I'll, I'll tune into, you know, the news or whatever, just to see what they're saying these days. And sure enough, right around that time. Yeah. I noticed on the, on the TV, every channel is ramping it up again saying, uh, you know, we're not talking about mandates. We're just saying, you know, we strongly recommend it. We strongly recommend this moving forward. So the people you're seeing around in the streets to this day, three years on wearing masks, are, are heavily, heavily, heavy TV watchers, in my opinion. And until they get out of that rut of, you know, consuming the television programming, they're going to continue to don, don that mask because this thing ain't going away. So long as you got the TV on and the radio on and you read the newspapers, it's not going away. They didn't do all this over the last three years and, and take away our rights like that just to so easily give them back. This is just the eye of the hurricane. It's the calm before the storm, really. So, you know, I think that's where we're at. And these people, unless they break free from the propaganda, are just going to continue to eat it up um, because uh, it's like junk food to them. It's so sad, man. When I see somebody still with a mask on, especially outdoors, you know, where like it's it's there's nobody that tells you to wear a mask outside nobody or kids outdoors p p people yeah. with their little kids oh, outdoors i've seen yeah, families on hikes in the wilderness with masks on <laughs> it's just it's crazy well i mean dan you got to be ready there's a triple dimmick coming now right <laughs> and the, the triple dimmick is going to be the one that takes us all out you know that's going to be the one that targets everybody and that's why we got to mask our kids outside it's got to be super that's duper boosted fucking <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> triple dimmick dude like th this is that's the and and you have to be like brainwashed and in a certain frame of mind to be able to accept that without completely laughing at it you know not neither i can I'm, i can speak for jason too i know he doesn't watch the tv but i like every now and again I'll, I'll partake in some marijuana and i will turn on the tv and it is an insult to everything <laughs> like all my senses it's just like Oh my God. Like how do people even get through this without busting out laughing yeah. or, or, you know, or just turn it off. It's just, it's, it's, it's mind blowing to me, man. Yep. But they've just been programmed for years and years and years. And this is, it's just, it's programming. They, they literally call it that. So. <laughs> Did you guys see the, the recent article, the people who skip their COVID vaccine are at a higher risk of traffic accidents. <laughs> Yes. According to a new study. Yeah. It's real. I mean, yeah, it was posted by Fortune and then and then agged by Yahoo Finance. But I mean, absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see the people that uh you, you see a bunch of people that are regretting getting their vaccinations, like the COVID vaccinations now, but you don't see too many people regretting not being vaccinated, you know. You, they used to have those propaganda campaigns on the on the television, you know, where the people they'd be in the hospital room and they'd go the newscaster would go up to them, which there's but you, you can't even see your family when you're in the hospital. Right. But somehow the newscaster gets in there, puts a mic up to their face, you know, and 
oh, look, man with COVID regrets not getting the vaccination. You know, <laughs> like that's that that was that you don't see any of that now. You don't see anybody who didn't get vaccinated coming out and saying, man, I wish I would have gotten vaccinated. Yeah. And on top of that, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people who have gotten it and I still don't know a single one of them who did it for health reasons. Every single person who I know who got vaccinated, who might be around 15 people or so, mm-hmm. all did it out of coercion, whether, you know, they just didn't want to lose their job or they didn't want to miss out on their kids hockey games or they didn't want to miss out on traveling to this particular country or Whatever it is, it, it, it was it was totally just uh, you know coercion and giving in as as opposed to doing it for any kind of a health reason. I don't know if you guys are have a similar experience with it, but I don't know anybody who did it because they're afraid of COVID. No, coincidentally enough, I have a really good friend who wanted to go hunting in Canada, and he could go throughout the entire United States, even go to Mexico without getting the vaccination. But when he wanted to go hunting in Canada, he had to get the vaccine, and he he actually broke down and did it. And, um, yeah. you know, he's, he's one of the very few of us that down here, like my close local friends who have done that. And yeah, we, we give him a hard time all the time. <laughs> like, dude, was it worth it? <laughs> it's great. Especially now that we're seeing all this data come out and, you know, all these new the CDC numbers and, and these studies, like there was a study out of Germany today that, that can basically confirm this died suddenly thing where they, uh, where the, the, the myocarditis, where it actually, it's it causes your heart to attack itself. It's like this autoimmune um, disorder that's caused by the MRNA, not on everybody, obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just data, more and more data coming out more like almost on a weekly basis showing the negative side effects of these things. And I I tell you what, dude, if I was, if I have taken the vaccination, I would be pretty freaked out. (laughs) It would would really freak me out. I have friends who are, yeah, they're literally asking themselves, like, am I going to have a you know heart attack at any moment now? And that's got to be pretty freaky feeling to live with, you know? I mean, geez, yeah, having that uncertainty kind of lingering over your head. No, I think you you touched on something a few moments ago, Dan, that was important that, you know, they abuse, you know, everything that they, they touch, the government does. And um, one of these things that kind of crossed my mind is that Wired Magazine, I uh, actually had like a pretty good write up about 200 different public schools, I guess, that all installed facial recognition uh, software within the schools for COVID, you know, for under the guise of COVID to, tr- you know, keep everybody safe. But now, even though things have kind of loosened up, you know, people aren't necessarily wearing the mask as much anymore. And a lot of the policies have kind of returned to normal. The facial recognition cameras are still in the the schools, you know, so this is the things that we kind of have to think about. And, you know, recently talking about, you know, Canada and the healthcare system, there's been a bunch of memes um, about the whole assisted suicide thing. Uh, apparently in 2023, uh, in March 2023, Canada will also allow mental health patients with no physical ailments to seek doctor assisted suicide. And um, apparently, you know, it's nearly anybody like this with the Canadian definitions of law. This could include anybody that has like a chronic medical condition, anybody who has disabilities. And I also read that, I don't know, this is fact-checked, of course, but there's been more than 10,000 deaths by euthanasia last year, which is an increase of about a third from the previous year. So, of course, like this is kind of uncommon, I guess you could say, in other places and morally questionable, raises a lot of questions. 
one thing I could say, I guess, as somebody who values liberty is that like, yes, like ultimately you should have control over your own life, like what you do with your own body, um, how you live your life, including when you die. But of course, like it does seem strange to need, to need government approval or like a doctor's approval to end your own life. Um, but yeah, just like everything government touches, you know, like I can envision this going horribly wrong. Like, how do you foresee this being abused or misallocated? And like, do you think that these assisted suicides will be pushed more onto the lower classes and like homeless? What do you think? Absolutely. In fact, I've been warning about it from the beginning. I, I, I called this as being a very slippery, uh, slippery slope in 2016 when MAID was fr first introduced uh, in, in Canada. And at the time, there was a, a lady who was running a hospice here. And um, she is a, a Christian woman who who refused to go along with some, with the made program and somebody's uh, you know assisted suicide program. And the government back then said, if you don't, we will you know withdraw our funding from this hospice and you will lose this building and all the patients will have to move to another one where they will receive this if they want it. And that's what ended up happening. And at that moment, I knew, okay, this is serious. Uh, you know, I need to go interview this lady. Um, and, and so I did, and I put that out in 2016. And back then she told me, like, even when they have these things, they make it like a, like it's something to look forward to, like a celebration. They you'd say, oh, you're going to have your, your pick your last song. You, you have your last meal. We get to, you know, decorate the room how you want. It's going to be fantastic. And, um, and sure enough, we slowly led to the point of, um, like, for example, uh, there's this company called Simons who just put out an ad. Uh, showing that this lady wanted to die with assisted suicide. Well, it turns out she never wanted to die. She had no intention of dying. It's just that she wasn't receiving the proper care from the palliative uh, care facility. She was in a great deal of pain. They they didn't they weren't helping her properly, so she caved and she went for it. Um, you got another case of a guy in Canada who he's just struggling to pay the bills. He, he's just worried about uh, becoming homeless. So he submitted the application and he was one, you need two signatures. He got one, he was one signature away from you know them agreeing to letting him into the program when people online heard about this and they raised like $60,000 through GoFundMe or whatever. And so the guy decided, okay, I wanna live. <laughs> um, there's another situation with a, a, a Canadian vet, this veteran. She was having a hard time getting up her stairs and she's supposed to have this wheelchair lift put into her house. And the government said, have you considered assisted suicide, essentially, to this lady? It's just so, yes, the slippery slope that I warned about years ago has gotten to the point now where they're pushing it on old people. They're pushing it on young people with depression. They're pushing it on homeless people because they don't have any money. They're literally pushing it on society here. Um, I have the video here. If anybody's uh, curious about it, it's called Exclusive Canadian Government Forced Killings of the Elderly at Delta Hospice Society Exposed. And yeah, that was a, a pretty wild interview I did back then. And this lady kind of laid it all out uh, that where it's going to go. And sure enough, here we are, 2022, and they're going after the homeless. They're going after the elderly. They're going after kids with depression. Uh, it's, it's not looking good. But yeah, the, the MAID program here is completely out of, out of control. I, I, I understand what you're saying, Jason, with, you know, people should have the, the right to bodily autonomy, be able to do, you know, whatever they want. But this Canadian government has another agenda at play here. And it looks like they're trying to convince people that this is 
a, a better option um, when, you know, it, it isn't. <laughs> Man, like a lot of the, the like the cases you mentioned, well, they specifically the hospice one, yeah. right? It's like they want to they incentivize it with money, and then it almost gets a lot of support from the rest of the tax base, I guess, if you will, uh, that support it because they say that well, these people are just a drain on the you know on the the centralized welfare state that we have, and which is a very slippery slope. And I mean, this was the exact same argument, you know, that the Nazis used to justify the mass murder of the sick and the handicapped. That's like essentially what got people to support moving Jews into gas chambers. Right. So like the the weak and the sick were a drain on the welfare state so they they could go and mm -hmm. that, you know, their lives were worth less. So we advocate killing them. I mean, a lot of the you know, it moved from a voluntary type, not voluntary, but, uh, <laughs> you know, a more like broadly socially acceptable movement into this you know to to this forced co mass murder you know where they murdered six million people really fueling those deep population conspiracy theorists let me tell do you you think that yeah, you see any you see any similarities like that like between this push for the assisted suicide again like i, I i'm i'm you know i think that if somebody's 75 years old and they're they're mentally like they're they're they have Alzheimer's and, you know, they're unable to feed themselves and stuff like that. I, I think death with dignity is is a good thing or not, not maybe not necessarily good because religious wise and everything. But it's 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 different than trying to convince a mentally ill 25 year old that they need to kill themselves. Right. That they that the death that the state should kill them. Do you, do you see those similarities in in this and like what the Nazis started doing with with the murder of the sick and the handicapped? I really do. You know, I, I think eugenics right. really is at play here um, because when you're dealing with this idea that the world is overpopulated, really, there's only two ways to deal with that. You either decrease the death rate or decrease the birth rate, sorry, or increase the death rate. That's, that's really, you know, or, or a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. And, and so what we're seeing now is both things being done through stealth. You know, it's uh, under the radar, the, uh, the fact that people aren't having kids anymore. And it's under the radar, the fact that, you know, the elderly are being killed off, whether it's with these, you know, made up viruses or being led into assisted suicide or whoever knows what it is, but th these things are happening. So I do think eugenicists are still at play. It was eugenicists who were pulling the strings back then. And a lot of the same guys are still pulling the strings today. Only they've kind of moved into that stealth mode where it's done a little more under the radar, uh, a little bit more calculated, but thankfully podcasts like this, Guys like you, guys like me, are starting to figure this stuff out, and hopefully, a lot of other people it's going to start going to start to resonate with them, and they say, "Hey, wait a minute, something's not right." You're right; the birth rates are way down. People are dying left, right, and center right now. What the heck is going on? Because yeah, there is there is something going on, and you know, like I said, Canada seems to be a good place to look if you want to see what's coming for you next. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and this isn't a conspiracy theory, guys. I know we've talked about on this podcast before uh, the topic of democide, but I mean, this isn't a, a conspiracy theory, right? The researcher from the University of Hawaii, R.J. Rummel, estimated 262 million humans were killed by their own governments over the past two centuries. So, I mean, that's insane. That's something to, to really think about, you know, like that. <laughs> 
we're not talking about private crimes here. And uh, one way that these have been uh, accomplished is through the banning of guns. And so that's something I wanted to talk about and kind of get into a little bit here, because last week on Twitter, the I stand with Carrie hashtag was trending after uh, the NHL star Carrie Price made an Instagram post calling the new firearms law in Canada unjust. And um, I guess the law faced like some renewed criticism after a late amendment uh, was it was put forth and basically it, it prohibited any firearm that included uh, a rifle or a shotgun. So they have all these you know specific you know details that they're trying to uh, designate as far as like the bands. Uh, hunting groups and other critics basically say like this almost outlaws all types of firearms in Canada. And as like libertarian and truth seekers, you know, we often complain about the ill effects of prohibition and how these laws always usher in black markets and create demand by outlawing certain products or services. And that obviously includes drugs. We could talk about the 40 years of failure when it comes to the, the American drug war. Uh, actually, I think it's longer than that now. But like, why does this garbage idea of prohibition continue to prevail? And uh, can you share anything you know about this this new law and upcoming law for Canada? Yeah, absolutely. This this gun grab in Canada has been going on for for a long time. I've been paying closer attention to it since 2015, around the time Justin Trudeau uh, took the reins, because that's when I started to see you know after every single event that would happen doesn't matter where it happened it doesn't matter if it's not even on our own soil there could be a, a school shooting in texas or something and every single time justin trudeau would jump all over it saying you know something to the effect of you know these dangerous assault style weapons must be you know eradicated from society so i i saw that you know he he was very interested in that um, and, and then, of course, we see the, the pen come to paper and the legislation come, starting to come through. Now, in the beginning, we were all saying this is going to lead not only to uh, um, hunting rifles and, and, you know, regular guns being taken, but this is going to absolutely do nothing to stop criminals or, or uh, crime or, or uh, illegal guns from continuing to, to uh, progress. And sure enough... The laws came out and every single thing the liberal government said they wouldn't do with this new gun law, they've, they've gone ahead and done. And like you said, all these celebrities now, there's famous hockey players, there's, um, you know, there, there's just other prominent people, Canadians who are standing up saying, look at what you're taking away from me and taking pictures of themselves with their guns. And if you look at some of these guns, we're talking about like a, a 22 caliber, for example, is going to be banned. This is something you, you would use, you teach your kids, you know, you, or you might use to just kill small little uh, vermin or, or something you use to teach your children how to shoot. Um, there was one, what is it called? The, the Ruger number one or whatever. This is basic, basic stuff. Like, you know, you can only load one bullet at a time. You got to pump action the thing and then load another bullet. Like, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. But thankfully, as you said, People seem to be calling them out for what they is for what it is, and now it looks like the Canadian government has backtracked a little bit. It looks like they're now saying, "Okay, uh, you know, we're going to work with you a little closer now. Uh, you know, we're not going to ban all of them, so let's let's get down to what really needs to be done here." Uh, I think they're just buying time, and uh, the ones that they say, "Okay, Grandpa, you can keep that rifle for hunting." 
for now. And then they'll come after it, you know, in six months from now, because that's their modus operandi. That's the uh, track record. That's, that's the history of this. So they, they are coming after every single one of them. Um, but they have to do it incrementally, obviously, because if they did it all at once, that would be a little, a little, a little alarming. So it's been happening slowly here in Canada, but now it's getting to the point where people are really starting to notice because they're coming after farmers hunting rifles. Yeah, dude, Canada <clears throat> with the gun control has been getting absolutely crazy. So like you said, since 2016, when they started with the, the AR style rifles, but it's like uh, every time they mention gun control in Canada, they, the case gets proven tragically that gun control does nothing to stop people from being mass murdered. Right. Like uh, I, I remember in 2020 gun control is a real hot topic and some guy went and started setting fires across Nova Scotia. Right. And he killed 22 people right. in their homes. And then like before that uh, there was a guy like had a, a rider van and he, and he murdered 15 people. And then just like a couple months ago um, in September, you know, I think that some guy went on a, I, I mean, I, I don't think I know some, I, I don't know the exact number of people that were killed or, but some two people went on like a mass stabbing spree, you know, and, and like 25 people or something like that were uh, were not either killed or hospitalized. So it just it's it's a tragic, ironic fate that every time it seems like can, Canadians or the Canadian government rather tries to clamp down on guns that some fucking psychopath comes out and shows them that, look, this doesn't do anything. You know, we could we could murder all the people we want and we don't need a gun to do it. And except this makes people more vulnerable because it removes their ability to defend themselves against these psychotic assholes with rider vans and knives. That's true. And we even have a lot of stories as you guys do, where there's cases of people using guns for self-defense. Mm -hmm. And then that either gets underreported or, Sometimes in, in the case of Canada, like there's one guy who I, I, I think he got charged and arrested because um, uh, there, uh, somebody intruded on his house, a robber intruded on his house with a gun. He wrestled the gun out of the guy's hand and, and shot the guy to get him to take off. And he was charged, <laughs> the homeowner. Uh, that's, oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> that's, the, that's how bad it can potentially be. Here in Canada, so there is no there is no right to self protection in Canada. In fact, even if you have gone through all the channels, we're the most vetted in the world when it comes to obtaining a firearm. You have to go through some insane restrictions. Like you can't, you you have to keep your gun and the bullets stored separately, and they have to be locked up separately. Um, that doesn't really do you a lot of good in a lot of certain situations. Um, yeah. you can't travel if you're ever going to travel anywhere with your gun, you have to notify the police of where you're going to be going from point A to point B. As a gun owner in Canada, you waive the right to a warrant, uh, a warrant search. They can do a warrantless search anytime, 24 7, anytime they can pop in and check in, check in on you as a gun owner. It's like it, we're the most vetted, you know, people in the world. So, it's it's law-abiding, good people who have guns here in Canada, you know? So by taking them out of the hands of them, all you're doing is leaving them in the hands of the criminals. And as you said, leaving people defenseless. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty shocking. But it's been a slow incremental push that's really just starting to exponentially ramp up, I guess, in the last few years. Yeah. And, and we call these people uh, anti-gun, which is a misnomer, right? 
like you were just saying, like all the things that you have to do to own a gun in Canada, where I keep your bullets separate, register with the state. That all applies to people unless their paycheck is derived from the taxpayers, right? So, <laughs> I mean, all these people are, they're, uh, they're not anti-gun. They're just, they're very pro-gun, but only the state having guns. And they're, they're, like, they're far more for like the centralized control of guns, making them very pro-gun, but only when they're in the hands of a elite group of corrupt authoritarians who freeze your bank account for practicing your freedom of speech. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. They, they, they don't realize that, uh, you know, it, the, the people who have to come and take away these bad guns are going to have to be people with guns. So like, like you said, yeah, they're simply in favor of the state being the ones to have a monopoly on guns. All right. Free thinkers. This episode is nearing its end. Just a reminder, we've been working extremely hard to bring you some of the most powerful voices in the truth liberty movement. We work tirelessly for you to bring these concepts to the masses and to educate and wake up those who continue to sleep. Please don't forget to consider donating or subscribing if you appreciate the work we do. It's becoming more and more difficult to do this, and we can no longer depend on social media advertisers of big tech monetization. Our support network is you. So help us rebuild this organization by going to our website, thefreethoughtproject.com, and at the top, you'll find tabs for our memberships and donations. Also, please review and rate this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you, Freethinkers. Man, so, like, I guess we're getting pretty close to wrapping up, but we're going to still have a, a few more questions. But in case Jason jumps in and tries to wrap it up before me, I have one overwhelming question I've been wanting to ask you since, like, 2020. Why are you still in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's that's a good it's a good question, and I've 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 asked myself that many times over, especially the last couple of years. But the the following question is always, yeah, well, where do you where go? Do you go? Right? I mean, and I've looked and and I've I've looked into a lot of uh, options, and there are some good options, but. You know, I'm 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 born and raised here. I've been here my whole life. I'm 43 years old. I I there are good parts uh, in Canada that I still hold true to my heart. I love. I'm not patriotic or anything, no. but it's just beautiful here. The people are really nice. It's beautiful. The government sucks. The tyranny sucks. But at the same time, I think we're at the stage in the game. It's not something you can just keep running away from. I mean, there probably are some decent places I can go to, but for how long I until their government becomes you know, corrupt. So at some point, you know, I need to hunker down and, and just really think about, you know, a family, a homestead and not really, you know, be overly concerned with that. And, but the big question is always, where's the ultimate best place in the world to do that? And I'm still asking that question to be honest, but for now I'm, I'm leaning towards staying in Canada. I mean, it is, it is my home, but I'm open. I'm open to options, man, because, um, you know, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty bad what's what's been happening here so yeah it's something i've been thinking about i mean yeah that was, that was a perfect answer too man there's like you you have to stand your ground essentially and if you just keep running from it eventually you're just going to run to a like the edge of the cliff and be pushed off of it so there uh, you know eventually you have to make a stand man and i think that everybody should make a stand where they are and and try to change or or incite peaceful change 
uh, until it's not peaceful and, and just keep fighting no matter what. And network and network and build a right, small little network. community amongst yourselves. You know, we're going to need each other throughout a lot of this. If, if possible, in a perfectly ideal scenario, I would have me and one to two of my best friends and we all have our own individual properties, but we're all within you know, five or 10 acres of each other. Should we need anything or anything go down, we can all help one another. But I, I think, you know, networking and maintaining a tight knit community of people who are minded of being outside the government, outside the banks, not even relying on the grocery stores for that matter. If you can network with enough like-minded people like that, who don't have any debt, they don't have any need from the government whatsoever or the banks, uh, then, then I think you're going to be far better off than, than most. So that's what I'm working on. Uh, that's what I hope other people are working on is, for, you know, getting those communities together, finding that land and making it your own, you know? I think uh, Derek Bros is actually building those types of intentional communities down in Mexico right now, along with a lot of great stuff happening in Mexico. Yeah, John Bush. Yeah, and in Texas as well. Yeah. But uh, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, Dan. And it's like, yeah, where do you go? You know, as Alex Jones uh, coined many years ago, it's a prison planet essentially that we live on. And uh, of course, you can't think of it like too dreary like that. But essentially, you know, every geographic landmass has been claimed by these government gangs. So I, I do have a bit of a broad question, though, as uh, a long term independent journalist, I kind of want to get your take on this. And this could be our last question. So you don't have to, um, you know, give it too much of an answer. And it, it is a bit of an off the cuff kind of question, which are sometimes the hardest to, to answer. But can you maybe explain the changes you've observed in like the past 16 years? that you've been in this world of journalism and, and media and like, are we moving in the right direction with social media? Um, has it turned the tides? Do you feel like we're making headway uh, with it as a species, as a global society? And like, you know, what changes have you seen that kind of indicate that our movement is succeeding or failing, I suppose? Well, I think it's a bit of both. I I've, I've seen things come in waves really. And I've been really, inspired by this movement and i've uh, seen it like uh, grow and then i've seen times where things have kind of you know uh, died down uh, as well um but i mean there's only one option is to keep uh, plugging on i should say i did feel we were making a lot of headway uh from you know 2006 all the way up to to 2020 and i i really really did think we were and we do we did in a, in a great sense in, in a lot of different areas but when the pandemic hit and I saw just the, the, the percentage of people who were wearing the masks in the stores, it, it was a little bit of an eye-opener. It was a little bit of like, okay, where, whoo, there's a lot of work to do here. Like, we, we're, <laughs> we're not even close to, you know, I think somebody one, once said, you know, you reach that 10% or something like that. And that's the tipping point where everything can really start to come over to the other side. And it was the it was the pandemic just looking around that I realized, Oh boy. Uh, hmm. I think there's a lot of people still watching, watching TV and, and, and eating it up and buying it. So that made me realize that we still got a lot of work to do. But then over the next three years, I started to see this anti, not anti, but this, just this, this, this movement that was recognizing COVID-1984 for what it was. And over the last three years, I've seen so many new people, come into this movement and so many new people have woken up to the truth movement because of this COVID-1984 nightmare. So it really kind of was like a little bit of a blessing in disguise really because 
that now people are learning about 9-11. They're learning about, you know, all sorts of different things that they may not have ever uh, found out about. Um, so, and, and a lot of people are realizing, you know, they shouldn't be relying on the government. They shouldn't be relying on the grocery stores or, or the banks. They need to start focusing on being self-sustainable. So a lot of these positives did come out of this stuff. But at the same time, just looking around at the amount of masks, I was like, wow, I thought we were doing really good in the truth, man, truth movement. I think we still got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Great answer. I, I totally agree. I feel like the medical freedom movement um, really grew and, and really blossomed during this pandemic and uh, has a lot of momentum even still. And we've interviewed a few people who've uh, been kind of leaders in that space, like Justin Harvey and Alex Zach. And uh, it feels like the, the theme that's kind of centered around it now is kind of decentralization. And it's not just decentralizing away from the healthcare system, but other aspects, as you're saying, you know, we're waking up to different forms of, uh, you know, political thought, ideology, uh, even conspiracy theories. All right, guys, this is nearing the end of the podcast. Definitely check out and follow Press for Truth on social media. Go to his website, pressfortruth.ca. Also donate and subscribe to Dan's work. Um, you'll find all those links at the top of his website or at the bottom of any of his articles. And what else do you want to plug, Dan? Yeah, you know, I, I need to update my website, especially since being kicked off <clears throat> kicked off of YouTube. But right now, like the best place to find all the different platforms I'm on is to just go to any recent article, any recent post on uh, pressfortruth.ca. And underneath the embedded video, you'll see all the places. You can watch it on Odyssey, watch it on BitChute, or Rumble, or Minds, or, or Hive, or Band. I'm on, I think, about, about eight different platforms now. Um, I've realized you kind of need to diversify your video sharing platform these days. Yeah. So yeah. I've, I've kind of spread myself out, which is, which is a good move, onto these decentralized censorship resistant platforms you know that um that are more freedom minded so the best thing to do is go to pressfortruth.ca and uh you know just click on any one of the links and you'll find all the places to where you can subscribe to me well dan your work has woken up millions and like that's no exaggeration brother like you've been at this and pushing for truth since 2006 which is truly astonishing considering how much the world has changed since then as we were just talking about and you've always been a North Star for the truth movement. And your documentaries like Into the Fire has admittedly been an impetus in waking up many even previous Free Thought Project employees uh, and plenty of colleagues in our space. So I just wanted to thank you for one, you know, giving me the platform to for my first interview, which was awesome, but also just thank you for your consistent commitment to journalism and the truth, man. You're an inspiration. Of course, man. It's uh, it's called Press for Truth for a reason, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. So <laughs> really appreciate it, guys. Thank you, brother. All right, take care. See ya.